Several years ago, a missionary and theologian by the name of Dr. E. Stanley Jones was asked what the number one problem he felt in the church was at the time. Um, and this is his response. He said that the number one problem he felt was irrelevance. And here's what he meant by that. He, say, he went on to say that three-fourths of the opposition of the church stems from disappointment. We promise to make people different, but then we don't fulfill our promise. Uh, he said that the world is saying to us, if you, Christians, speaking to Christians, if you cannot convert us, then we will sue you for breach of promise. Uh, you've told us that we would be different, yet we're not. Now, of course, everybody's responsible for their own choice, but his point is that we have promised that we would be different, and that's not always the case, and that we would show people how to become different. Uh, because deep down, I believe, people know that there's no hope anywhere else in life. I mean, we look and look and look and search and search and search, but there's only one place that you truly find hope, and that's in Jesus Christ. And in many areas, that was a long time ago, but in many areas, we still see the church failing to do this in a lot of, a lot of situations. Um, we, you know, the church has become, uh, has, has gotten to the point to where we're really not making an impact in our culture um, in many instances. Um, we're supposed to be a light that shines, salt in the earth, but um, we're not making the difference. We're not making the impact. We've become irrelevant. They've, they, we as Christians have neglected our responsibility to make a difference in our world, to live different in our world, to be salt and light, which we'll talk about today. But the flip side's also true, right? I mean, we can talk about examples where the church isn't making a difference in culture, but when Christians live for Christ, when they are salt and light in a world, people notice that too, don't they? Uh, we do make a difference. We make an impact. And as we've discovered, some may not like it, but they will notice it. When I live for Christ, when I live out the Beatitudes, the inner qualities of a true disciple, people are going to take notice of that. They will listen to us. They want to know what's different and why we're different. Um, when we are salt and light, the world listens to us. When we're not, they don't listen to us. If we just say it and we don't live it, then that's telling them we don't really believe it. But if we believe it, we say it, and we live it, then people will pay attention. We're concluding our series today on the Beatitudes, and while this isn't a Beatitude, these few verses are a perfect conclusion to the Beatitudes, which is why Jesus wrapped them up uh, with these verses. Uh, but we've learned through this series, as I just said, that the, the Beatitudes describe the inner qualities of a true disciple of Christ. If you want to know what a disciple of Christ looks like, uh, Jesus explains them. He lays them out for us in the Beatitudes. They answer two very important questions for us. They answer the question, what does Jesus want from me? What does he expect from me if I'm going to follow him? And what does he want for me? Uh, what does he want for me in my life? Um, that, that, that's, those are the questions that these Beatitudes answer. And we know that we are to live out these characteristics, but we also know that if we do that, or we should know if we do that, as we talked about last week, we're going to make a difference in our world. And sometimes that'll be received well. Many times it won't. Many times we'll be persecuted. But doing those things, living out those things, that's what being salt and light is, which we will discover today. So let's begin Matthew chapter 5. 
We'll read verses 13 through 16 as we conclude our series on the Beatitudes today. In verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Well, y'all, those who know me know I like object lessons. Well, Jesus gave us our object lesson this morning. I really am am not going to try to improve on it too much because he's Jesus, but we have our object lessons this morning. Uh, He says we are to be the salt of the earth, the world. We are to be the light. We have lights that shine in the world. And we know that salt and light make an impact wherever they go. Think about it. There are some things that salt and light have in common. I mean, when they are present, you know they're there. And when they're not, you know they're not there. They're unique. Um, They are special. They're common. We, you know, see salt everywhere. Uh, Used to on every table in a restaurant. Now you got to ask for it because of social distancing, COVID, that sort of thing. But everybody's got salt in their house. If you're allowed to eat it, you've got salt. It's common. It's everywhere. And, and it makes a difference wherever it's present. It makes an impact. Light makes an impact. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. Wherever there is salt, you notice that, there, that it's there. It makes a difference wherever it is. And so Jesus takes these common things... And he uses them to show how you and I, by living out the Beatitudes, how you and I can make an impact in our world for Christ and for his kingdom. How we are to make a difference for him in our world. So let's look at that this morning. How do we become difference makers in our world? Well, number one, we need to add spice to life using salt. Jesus says you are to be the salt of the earth. We are to add spice to life. What does that mean? Well, we're going to look at that. Look again at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It, no lo- it is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by man. You know, this salt of the earth is, is sort of a proverb, not used as common anymore, I don't think. But, you know, so if somebody was genuine, honest, down to earth, you would say they were a salt of the earth kind of guy. Um, in the ancient world, salt was valuable, very valuable. It was, it was used commonly um, but it was used even as payment. Uh, Roman soldiers would be paid in salt, salt rations. Um, as a matter of fact, the word uh, that, uh, that that's used, this translated salary, comes from from a Latin word that literally means salt money, and it's a reference to this. Uh, again, Roman soldiers would be paid in salt sometimes. Uh, you've heard the phrase "He's worth his salt." You heard that phrase? No? <laughs> Some of you are shaking yes. Well, it's an actual phrase, I promise. And it, it, it's a reference to that, being paid in salt. Um, it's a reference to that practice in biblical times, Roman soldiers being paid in that. So, you know, salt was used for a lot of things. It's used for a lot of things now, but it was used for even more things in the time in which Jesus taught this, in the ancient world in biblical times. Uh, let's look at the different uses of salt, and we will, it'll help us understand why Jesus, how he's using this to show us how to point people to him, how to make an impact for him in our world. Uh, one use was it was a preser- preservative. You've probably heard this before refrigeration. 
situation. You know, if you had meat and you wanted to keep it for a period of time, you would coat it. You would put salt on it because salt would keep it from going bad. Uh, it would take it longer to go bad if you had it in salt. Uh, imagine they drank a lot of water in the ancient world because you can you imagine, you know, how salty the meat was, but they had to do it. They didn't have any other choice. So they would use it and it would keep food from spoiling. Meat would last longer. So in the same way, you and I are to act as a preservative in our world. Just by living out the gospel, living out the Beatitudes, by sharing the word of Christ, we, are, we act as sort of a preserving agent. We are telling people how to be changed. We are showing people how to live in this evil world, to survive. But not only survive in this world, thrive in this evil world. We are helping protect society by teaching God's word, by living God's word, by leading people to Christ. We are protecting, we are helping to protect society from the evils, the darkness that surrounds us. I mean, imagine the world without churches, without, you know, Christian influence, Christian schools, organizations, parachurch organizations, missionaries, ministries um, in different parts making an impact. Imagine if that was gone. Um, I mean, God uses his church, his people to make an impact, to influence, to protect even, to preserve people. Um, And so in that way, we are to act as a preservative. Salt also is a flavoring, I mean, or seasoning. I mean, how many recipes... Even desserts have at least a pinch of salt. I mean, salt is in everything. Um, it, it is, it's a very common seasoning, and it adds flavor to whatever. Again, even cakes, many recipes call for a pinch of salt. It adds flavor to whatever you're eating. Um, and you can notice. You know when it's there, and you know when it's not there. If you've ever had to go on a no-salt diet, you know what I'm talking about. That's a tough transition. It's difficult to take that away because it adds so much. It adds flavor. Um, y'all know I'm an Andy Griffith fan, right? Love the Andy Griffith show. I watch it over and over and over again. And I remember, y'all remember the character Goober on the Andy Griffith show, right? Uh, he came on later, like season five, I think. And, and I was watching an interview Andy Griffith did one time, and he was describing the character of Goober. You know, Goober's not the sharp, sharpest uh, guy in the in the world, and, and uh, he was talking about the character Goober, and he said, this is how I described the character to George Lindsay, who played Goober. He said, Goober's the kind of guy that would go in a restaurant and say, boy, they sure do have good salt. Nobody says that, right? I mean, nobody, you know, now you might put salt on your tomato, right, and eat it. I do. I like salt and pepper, but I put salt, maybe, how many of you like watermelon with salt on it? Yeah, that's good. It's good stuff, right? But if you eat that tomato or you eat that watermelon, you don't say, boy, that's good salt, do you? You say, that's a good tomato. It's a good watermelon. Put salt on your french fries. Those are good french fries. What does salt do? It enhances whatever you're eating. It points to, it makes whatever you're eating better. It, it adds spice to whatever you're eating. It adds flavor. And so taking that analogy, you and I as Christians, we should bring spice and zest to life. We should have joy. We should spread joy. We should spread love. We should do acts of kindness, minister to others. We add salt. We add flavor to life. If we're walking around all the time, ho, hum, hum, woe is me, life is miserable, people are going to look at us and say, well, I'm already miserable. I don't need additional misery in my life. But if we have joy in the midst of suffering, persecution, like we talked about last week, in the midst of trials, 
if we show that we have meaning and purpose in life, there's a purpose to what we do, and we're, we're, we're serving a purpose beyond ourselves, looking out for others above ourselves, people are attracted to that. It adds spice to life. We, by doing that, we penetrate society, we add flavor to life, and by doing that, we give the world a glimpse, a taste, a lost world, a taste of who Jesus really is of life with Jesus Christ. And it's enticing. People want to know. Just like you, if you like salt, you want salt on your food, you think it makes life better. Well, we, we do that. We entice. We make life better. We should point people to Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Just like the salt points to whatever it's on, how great that tomato or that watermelon or those french fries or whatever We're not pointing to ourselves by living for Christ, by living out the Beatitudes. We're pointing to how great Jesus is. It's not about us. We are pointing toward him. We are magnifying his name. So we add flavor. Salt was also an antiseptic. In biblical times, this was a common practice. I can't imagine this. Uh, It's a good thing babies don't have memories but um, uh, when they're born because when babies were born, they would coat them in salt to... to, uh, to anesthetize any, you know, as an antiseptic to, to uh, cover any wounds, to heal any wounds um, happen, that happened during birth. I mean, just, I mean, it was an antiseptic. But can you imagine how painful that would be? Again, it's a good thing babies don't remember because that, that would hurt, but it was a common thing, and it worked. I mean, salt serves as an antiseptic. I mean, it does help. Now, if you pour salt on your wound, you're, you're something wrong with you. But, I mean, because it is very painful, it stings, it hurts, but then it helps. And sometimes we have to do that, don't we? I mean, we are, yes, we are filled with joy. I mean, we are, um, we are spreading love and doing good works, but we also speak the truth in love. And we talked about that some last week. You know, we hold each other accountable as believers. We speak truth into a dark world. Um, and many times it's going to hurt a little bit. I mean, God's word is offensive to those who don't agree with it. But we live by his truth and we share his truth. But by doing so, it may hurt, but if people will open their hearts and minds, in the end, they will be healed. Just like that, that salt on that wound. Yeah, it hurt, but it served a purpose. It helped. It healed. And so by doing, living the Word of God, sharing the Word of God, discipling others, serving others, and then speaking the truth into people's lives, even when it's painful, it may hurt a little, but in the end, it will prevent the effects of disease that are caused by sin. It's the healing medicine of the gospel of Christ. And that's what we're called to share. So salt was an antiseptic. It also gave strength. It gives strength. Um, you really, uh, you may not know this, but you can't live without sodium, some sodium in your diet. Now, too much is bad, but you got to have sodium. I mean, it's something that you got, I mean, it gives strength. And another reason they would pay soldiers with salt because it would give them energy, it would give them strength. They knew they had to have it. And the same is true for us. It gives us strength. We can, as believers, we can give strength to others. I mean, we can meet needs. We can help people that need help, people that, that are weary, um, people that are down on their luck or they, they're in need somehow. We can perform ministry, acts of kindness We can help others. We can encourage other people. We can pray with other people. There are so many ways that we can be salt to other individuals. So many ways that we can give strength. And so just 
Here, here's one challenge this week. We'll call this the salt challenge, okay? Challenge for everybody in this room. I want you to think of three people in your life, can be in the church, people you work with, people you know outside the church, three people, call them this week, and here's your, your two purposes. This is it, two purposes. Number one, encourage them in some way and pray with them while you've got them on the phone. Three people. If we can't do that, then we need to reorganize our schedules, right? Three people. Think of three folks. Just, I mean, I know it'll be a little awkward, but get over the awkwardness. I mean, you know, it's, it's worth it. Encourage them in some way and pray with them. You, I mean, you don't know how God might use that to impact their lives, but that's one of the ways we are salt to a lost world. To even those who are believers, we provide encouragement, we provide support, we strengthen those who can't strengthen themselves. Um, salt also creates thirst. If you eat a lot of th- salt, you're going to be thirsty, right? You've heard the phrase, you, can't lead a, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, the last half of that phrase is you can give him a salt tablet and make him thirsty. And you can. I mean, you, salt makes you thirsty. When you eat salt, it makes you thirsty. And Jesus, when he was on earth, just by his life and ministry, he made people thirsty for God, didn't he? He made people look to, he glorified God the Father. And you and I as believers in our lives, in our world, we are called to make people thirsty for Christ. We point people to Christ and think about it. We make them thirsty. And what did Jesus say about himself? He said, I'm the living water. And if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. We make people thirsty, we point people to Jesus, and he satisfies their thirst. But again, we're glorifying him, we're pointing people to Christ, we're magnifying his name. We are to be salt that flavors a tasteless world, and we are to be salt that preserves a decaying world. We are to point people to Jesus. Jesus knew the condition of this world. He knew that it was uh, evil. He knew it was fallen. And he knew that he was saving us, setting us apart so that we could be left to make an impact for him, to be salt in a world, to be light in a world that was dark. And we live in a world that needs, desperately needs these things, desperately needs people to live out these characteristics, an incredibly immoral society. And it's like a piece of meat that's left all day out in the sun or left for a length of time. You know, it doesn't go bad all at once. It takes time. It's slow at first, but then when it's bad, it's bad, right? I mean, it, it, can, it can decay over time, but, but when it goes bad, there's no mistaking it. And we see decay in our world. And here's the thing. It's amazing. You only really need a little bit of salt to make a difference, right? It doesn't take much, um, just, a, just a little bit. We see an, an example of this in Genesis chapter 18. God's about to destroy Sodom. And Abraham pleads with God. Uh, He says in verse 24, he says, What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who are in it? And then the Lord said in verse 26, he said, "If If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So Abraham goes on. You can kind of see him. I know Sodom, and there's probably not 50 people there. So Um, verse 28, he says, Suppose the 50 righteous like five. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? God replied, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Then he spoke to him again, suppose 40 are found there. The Lord answered, I will not do it on account of 40. And Abraham said, let the Lord not be angry. Don't be mad, God. I'm going to speak a little further. 
Suppose 30 are there. Lord answered, I will not do it if I find 30. And then he said, since I ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 are found there. And God replied, I will not destroy it on account of 20. And then he said, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, I will not destroy it on account of 10. And when the Lord finished speaking with Abraham, he departed, and Abraham returned to his place. And of course, if you know the rest of the story, not even 10 were found there. That's how evil Sodom was. But isn't it amazing that God would have spared the city even if 10 righteous people were there? It doesn't take much. I mean, God can use, hey, God can use one person who's on fire for him. Matter of fact, he wouldn't destroy the city until Lot and his family left because no one who was considered righteous could be there while he would, if he was going to destroy the city. That was God's, God's will at the time. But the, the principle here is that if even just a few, even just a few people can make a difference, if a few folks get on fire for Jesus Christ and commit to living out the characters that are described in the Beatitudes, God can do something with that. We can be salt in a world. We can make a difference. And again, it doesn't take much to do the job. Timmy's going to help me today. Timmy's been my brave volunteer today. He volunteered to eat some things, and he doesn't know what he's eating. So, Timmy, you come on up here. We're going to explain or going to show how salt can make a difference. Here, I'll tell you what, Tim. Why don't you have a seat right here? You feeling okay? You hungry? A little bit? Okay. All right, put your blindfold on. He's going to follow Eli's example and use his mask as a blindfold. I've got some things here for you. He knows what some of it is. We're going to get it ready. And, and we're, just, we're just showing, making the point that uh, salt, just a little bit, can make a difference. But, you know, a little bit versus a lot doesn't really matter. All right. So we've got a few things here. I'm going to try not to cut myself. You just hang tight, Tim. All right. So, Tim, you like salt, right? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Okay, good. All right. I don't know if you like everything that I have here, but we're about to find out. All right. So first, let's start. All right. This is pretty simple, okay? Hold out your hand. All right. All right. Taste those. Tell me what you think. How are they? Good. Are they good? Yeah. You think they lack anything, maybe? Yeah. What do they lack? Salt. All right. Try these. See if you can tell the difference. What you Same thing, but one important difference. Might should have brought his water up here with him. <laughs> Is there a difference? How, what's the difference? It's a big difference, right? Plain peanuts versus salted peanuts. I mean, you know, peanuts are good, but well, it's much better with salt, right? You like salt. Okay. All right, we're going to try something else here. All right. Let me see. Got to get my salt. This is where it gets interesting, Timmy. All right. So... Hold out your hand. All right. You ready? Taste that. What is it? Watermelon. All right. Now taste this one. Tell me if you can tell the difference. All right. What's the difference? Um. <laughs> Did the fir- Here, I'll help you. Did the first one taste different? Yes. Okay, why? The first one had salt on it. You can tell the difference, right? Maybe I need to put a little, let's try this a little more. I didn't put quite so much. All right, one more thing, all right? One more, all right? Try this. He has no idea what he's eating, by the way. All right, what is it? 
It's a tomato, all right. Here. Now try this. Try this one. Same thing. That one has a lot of salt on it because it's put a lot of salt on it. Okay, take your blindfold off. Here's, here's the point. All right, thank you, Timmy, for being a trooper. All right, you can, have a, you can go have a seat. Here's the point, right? Except for the watermelon, maybe. I didn't have to tell him what was salted and what wasn't. Why is that? I mean, when salt's there, you know it, right? And when it's not there, you know it. If you've ever tried to eat something without salt, it, it makes a big difference. Salt makes an impact wherever it is. I mean, that's the point, and that's the point that Jesus is making with us. If we're going to be the salt of the earth, if we're going to make an impact, then we've got to live for him. But by doing that, by doing those things, living out the Beatitudes, we will make an impact. It's just the natural result. It's evident. It's obvious wherever it is. Sociologist Robert Bella once said, We should not underestimate the significance of a small group of people who have a vision of a just and gentle world. The governing values of a whole culture may be changed when 2 percent, I'll get it right, 2 percent of its people have a vision. Just 2 percent. It doesn't take much. And if you think, hey, we're a small group or whatever, God can take a few people who are completely and totally committed, totally sold out to him and change the world for his sake and for his glory. Being the salt of the earth means we are acting as a purifying agent to hinder the spread of evil. We are to be conscious, uh, the conscience of our community. We share the truth. We spread the truth. We speak out for what's right, and we live by the characteristics that Jesus has taught us in the Beatitude. So we add spice to life, and then two, we, add, we illuminate the world. So Jesus uses salt, and then he uses light, and light makes a difference wherever it is. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Wherever there is light, it dispels darkness. And he tells us that we are to be the light of the world. Verse 14, you are a light. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, just in case you may not know, I'm going to give you a definition for light. <laughs> Here's an actual definition. It is a source of illumination. Now, think about that. That's a simple definition. But what does it mean to illuminate something? I mean, it, it is... It is revealing something that, what, that you didn't know was there. It's highlighting something, magnifying something, spotlight on something. And there are different functions of light that show us what Jesus is teaching us here. For one, it dispels darkness. You know, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. Man, I was terrified of the dark. And if I'm being honest, I really don't like it that much now. I'm 43 years old, and I'm still a little scared of the dark, okay? Moment of transparency. <laughs> All right. I mean, nobody, I, you know, some people maybe, but I don't like dark. I don't like the dark. I mean, there's too much that's scary about the dark. Dark's scary. I mean, really, is there anything in this world that's more frightening than the dark? Because even if you're looking at something that's scary, at least you know what it is. In the dark, you don't know what's there and what's not. I mean, have you ever gone into a room and you're, you don't know what's there and you, the lights are off and you're bouncing off stuff, trying to find your way around? You don't know if anybody's in there or not. And that's dark. And dark is scary. And, and, and so when we're talking about light, one of the functions of light is that it dispels darkness. You're in that dark room. You're bouncing around trying to find a light switch, tripping over stuff. You don't know what's in front of you. Suddenly somebody turns on the light, and what happens? You can see everything. You know where everything is. Everything's okay, hopefully. But at least you know what's in front of you. And, and that, that's what we do as believers, what we should do. We... we 
shine the light of Christ, the truth of Christ, and we reveal the way things really are. We live in a world that says there's no such thing as absolute truth, and that creates chaos, and it creates disorder. But by living by God's word, by accepting that this is accurate, and it is true, even the parts I don't understand, it is true, and it's complete, and I agree to adjust my life to it, that brings order to life. It makes sense out of life. It shows me what I am and I'm not supposed to do. Even the Beatitudes themselves, they are the characteristics, the qualities of a disciple. It tells me what Jesus wants me to do. It answers that question, what do you want from me? What do you want for me? It it creates order. It stabilizes. It dispels the darkness. It shows me the right things to do and the wrong things that I should not do. So as lights, we teach the truth. We live the truth and thereby highlight what's right and what's wrong. Light also reveals. Again, walking into a dark room, everything is uncertain. You turn on the light and it reveals what's in the room. It shows you what's there. So it only shows you the bad things to avoid, right and wrong. It just it shows you what's there. It is a map for life. It shows me how to live. It's instructions. God's word teaches me. And so as I learn what God wants for me, and see, some of it's specific to you. God's got a specific plan for you. But as a believer, as I learn what God wants for me, um, I can teach others. I pour into other people. And one of the ways that I'm a light is I, I help them find the roadmap. I help them discover how to live. I live it myself, and I teach it to others. We reflect the light of Christ. We, re, we, we reveal his light. We dispel darkness. And then as we live in this dark world and people are crashing around into one thing or the other, or the other we show them the light so that they know where to go. We reveal what's there. Another function of light is that it awakens. You know, um, we, most everybody in my family, we're, we're not morning people, okay? Um, Eli is the exception. Eli likes the morning. And when we first got him home, he would wake up at dawn. As soon as he saw light, he would get up. Now, at the time, he was sharing a room with Timmy. Timmy had a loft bed. And because Mandy and I are better parents when we're not woke, awake, awoken, awakened, awakened, whatever, at dawn, we're better parents when we don't get up that early. We decided that for his sake and everybody else's sake, we put blankets. He slept in a, in a toddler bed under Eli's loft. We put blankets all the way around the loft so that the sunlight wouldn't come in in the morning. And he would sleep a little longer. I know it's pitiful. Some of your kids wake up at 6, and I, I get it. I'm a wimp. But still, we... we And it worked. You know, we would make it dark in there because the minute that light hit him, he was awake. And light does that, doesn't it? If you're sleeping outside, if you're camping, when the light, when the sun comes up, you're probably going to wake up. I mean, light, somebody comes in your room, turns the light on, then you're probably going to wake up. Some of you, maybe not, you're deep sleepers, but some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Light does that. It serves, that's one of the purposes. It, It wakes you up. And we are commanded to be light in the world awakening people to the truth that God is real, Jesus is Messiah, and he's coming back again. You need to be awake. The message of John the Baptist, repent. Prepare yourselves for the Messiah. That was his message. And while that was pre his first coming, we have the same message. It is, world, get ready. Jesus is coming. 
We need to wake people up to the truth that he's coming back again. And that's one of the ways that we shine the light of Christ. Light also warns. Think about a lighthouse, warns a ship. Think about a police car, lights on a police car, warns you that he's going through traffic. You're warning. And we are called to warn people of the dangers, to warn the lost of the dangers of sin. And so we sound the alarm. Hey, listen, without Christ, you, you, your destiny is not good. You need, you need to understand the consequences of sin. And even as believers, we need to understand the consequences of disobeying God. So we are to be salt. We are to be light. And if we're faithful in being salt and light in the world, then we will make a difference in life. And that's number three. I mean, the result is you're going to make a difference in your world for Christ. You'll make an impact. Look again at verse 15. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Rather, he puts it on a lampstand and, gives, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We are called to make an impact before in our world and before others for the glory of God. We do that one way is by being in the world and not of the world. We're called to be in the world. We're not the same as the world. This world is no longer our home if we know Christ, but we are still supposed to be in the world. And, and to, to serve Christ in the world, to be a light that shines, to be salt. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Uh, again, notice it doesn't say you're as salt. You are as light. It says you are salt. You are like it. And notice it doesn't say you're you salt um, like the world or you're a light like the world. It is you're in the world. And so we are to be the salt, we make a difference. We are to be light that shines in a dark world, but we are not to be the same as the world. And you know, the thing about it, again, salt and light, one of the things about them, and one of the reasons Jesus used these, is they, they are very unique. There's nothing quite like salt, and there's nothing quite like light. Salt is completely different than pepper, and light is completely different than darkness. Matter of fact, those two things can't exist. Darkness and light cannot coexist. Wherever there is light, it dispels the darkness. So they're unique. Nothing's quite like those two things. Um, they, are, they are unique in what they are, and they're unique in what they do. And we are in the same way to be distinct in the world. We are in the world, but we're not like the world. We're different. We're unique. We have the righteousness, the holiness of God living through us. Look at Philippians 3, 9. We are to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, Paul says, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. It is, we are unique because he has made us righteous. He's making us like himself. Blaise Pascal said, The serene, silent beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world. Next the might of God. It is a powerful influence. We make a difference. The righteousness of God through us. And in order to make an impact, it's, a, it's vital that we stay close to Christ. We have to stay connected to him. If we're going to be salt and light, we've got to stay connected. Look at verse 13 again. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything. But to be trampled and thrown out and trampled on by men. Did you know that salt in its purest form never loses its flavor? You can put salt in the dish, put it up 100 years, it's still going to taste like salt. It's a very stable compound. The only way that salt loses its taste is if it's mixed with something else. Then it loses its flavor. 
in the ancient world, they would take salt that had been mixed. It, you know, salt's still there, but it had lost its flavor, at least some of its flavor, and they would put it on paths that they wanted to harden because it has a hardening effect. And people would walk on it, and the path would get hard. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. Salt that's lose, lost its taste, the only purpose is to be thrown out and trampled on. And, and you don't want that. It's not saying you lose your salvation. It's saying you lose your effectiveness. You lose your influence. Um, you're not making a difference in your world. You lose rewards of faithful service, here, both here on earth and in heaven. I mean, so there's, there's a warning here. If we, lose, if we allow ourselves to become mixed with the culture, if we are deluded, if we say one thing and live another, if we, are, do, if we worship God on Sunday and live for the world the rest of the week, then we're being mixed. If our devotion is divided, if our loyalties are divided, if we try to have, serve both God and wealth or God and something else, that, that means we lose our tastiness, we lose our flavor, we lose our effect, and we'll, be, we'll suffer the results. Either way, the result is not good. If we're not affecting our world, the world is affecting us. And if we're not salting our world, then the world is rotting us. We have to be salt and light, making a difference. The consequence of this failure is that we lose our impact for God's kingdom in the present, and we lose rewards in eternity. Don't lose your salvation, but you can lose rewards. When you think about it, I've got, I brought two flashlights. I've, I've used this before. This isn't new, but I've got two flashlights. This one works, right? Yeah, works. I won't shine it in your eye. I'll shine it in y'all's eyes. Hey, Gracie. It works, right? This one, not so much. What do you think the problem is? One works, one doesn't. Pretty simple, right? I took the batteries out. <laughs> That's why it doesn't work. I should have paid attention to how they went in. But I've got them here. Hopefully this is the right way. Nope. Oh, I put one in the wrong way. I need Timmy's help again. Well, it still ain't working. Huh? Was it working? Yeah, there we go. All right. There's only so many ways you can put those things in there, right? But that's the difference. No batteries means no power. That's a simple concept. I could have a lamp up here. Plug it in, it works. If it's not plugged in, it's not going to work. You've got to have power. doesn't matter how good the bulb is. doesn't matter how good the parts are. If there's no power, it's not going to be effective. And that's us. If we're going to make a difference in our world, if we're truly going to make an impact, we've got to be connected to power. We've got to be connected to Jesus. Again, it's not me. It's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness living through me. I've got to stay connected to Christ. We also need to make our works visible. Again, not, remember, salt. It points, it highlights, it magnifies the thing that it salts. Light reveals what's there. We are, we are making our works visible, not to point to us, but to point people to Jesus. But that's one of our purposes. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus says. Our influences, however large or small, will be seen by others. Salt can be tasted. Light can be seen. We need to be seen. You have to work really hard to cover up both of those things, light and salt. You know, Mandy and I have different philosophies when it comes to french fries. 
she loves salt on her french fries, which is fine. I, mean, I like salt, but she likes a lot of salt on her french fries. I mean, they can salt them in the restaurant, and she's going to ask for extra. And I've learned when we share a meal that, that she, I ask her or I'll do it myself. I take my pile out first so that she can salt the rest because, boy, whew, I, mean, I mean, I'm reaching for like a gallon of water, but that's her. She likes salt on her french fries. And once it's there, you can't get it. I mean, I guess you can wash it off, but then you got soggy french fries, right? I mean, and once it's there, it's there. You cannot deny it. It cannot be ignored. And if we're going to be salt and light, then we need to, it needs to be evident. Our works, what we do, we do it boldly for, for Jesus Christ. Jesus says, let your light shine before men. And the key phrase there is before men. Others will see it. I mean, you turn a, a, a light on in a room, but nobody's there to see it. What good is it? It's a whole tree falls in the forest thing, right? But you turn a light. I mean, in order for people to, to experience it, you got to be there. They got to see it. And they need to see our lights. If light is going to shine, it's got to shine before men. Somebody has to see it before it does any good. There is no such thing as secret discipleship. Either the, either the secrecy will destroy the discipleship, or the discipleship will destroy the secrecy. You let your light shine before men so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We make an impact. That word good, it means attractive. It means beautiful, lovely. It's something that's pleasing to the eye. People are attracted to the beauty of your life when you take time to serve somebody, to call them and encourage them like I've challenged you to do, to check on somebody that's in the hospital, to make a pie for your neighbor who's been sick, or to to help that guy in Walmart start his car in Jesus' name. I mean, whenever we take time to do something for others, for no, not, not expecting anything in return, for the sole purpose of sharing the love of Jesus, we are being salt and light. They are noticing, and when they want to know why, we tell them why. We tell them because we love Christ, and he's called us to serve and to share his love with others. We love them because he first loved us. If the light is shining brightly, if we do that, they'll be drawn to you, and you can say, hey, well, no, no, not me. Let me share, let me introduce you to my Savior. Let me point you to him. That's what light does. That's what salt does. Jesus could have said a lot of things here. He could have said when they hear great preachers or when they see nice churches or monuments or clever teachings, or whatever. He could have said those things, but he didn't. What did he say? He said, when they see your life, when they see your good works, when they see how you live, they will take notice, and they will glorify God. When they see how we live, it makes a difference. Because when people see your good works, it gives us the opportunity to magnify our Savior. We do the shining, God gets the credit. And here's why. Light does not call attention to itself. It provides illumination so that other things can be seen as they really are. I mean, when you look at a beautiful, blue, beautifully lit city, you don't talk about the light. You talk about the architecture. You talk about the design. You talk about the beauty of the designing. And, and in the same way, when our light shines, people will see the beauty, and we can talk about the architect. We can talk about the designer, the creator. We can talk about our creator, God gives us the opportunity to have an enormous influence for him. I mean, we can literally change the world by just following him, obeying his commands, living out the Beatitudes. And here's the best part. You don't need a seminary degree or a college education to do this. You don't need a doctorate of light or masters of salt. You just live out the Beatitudes 
You live the way Jesus commands you, and you will make an impact in your world for Jesus Christ. We've been called by Jesus to go to Madison, to go to wherever we are, our surrounding areas, wherever we live, and to be salt and light, to make an impact. And if we will do that, if we will live out the Beatitudes, if we are poor in spirit, if we mourn over sin, which leads to gentleness, that leads to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that leads to mercy, is accompanied by mercy, and, 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 and will result possibly in persecution, if we're willing to live out these Beatitudes and, and not be ashamed about it and do it boldly, then we will make a difference. As we live out these things, people will see our lives. Some will respond with hate. Some will respond with persecution. But some will want what we have. It'll be attractive. We'll be magnetic. And people will want to know. And we can share how we've been made different. We will make Jesus attractive. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And we can make him attractive to others as we live out the Beatitudes. It won't be easy. The world doesn't want salt. It doesn't want light. But it will take notice. And we will make a difference. So two commitments to make at the close of this series. Two commitments, all right? Number one, the salt commitment. You've had the salt challenge. This is different, okay? It's, you know, it's a, one is involved in the other, but this is different. The salt commitment. I will be a purifying agent to hinder the spread of evil as God gives me the opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my, my part to promote righteousness and holiness, right living. It may mean rocking the boat. It may mean taking criticism for your faith. You may get persecuted. It may mean taking an unpopular stand on public issues. But as an antiseptic, salt stings and then it cleanses. And that's our purpose, is to help people find cleansing in Christ. And then there's the light commitment. The light commitment is that I will illuminate spiritual darkness around me by the boldness of my speech and the beauty of my life, everyday acts of kindness, ministering to others, performing acts of kindness. And remember, my primary function is to reveal God's truth and to point to him, to reveal him to others. When you've done your job, they're not going to talk about you. They're going to talk about Jesus. But everyone will know that you're a disciple of Christ. There will be no mistake. You will be making an impact. You know, throughout history... Crimes have been solved with interesting evidence. Um, you know, I like, uh, I minored in criminal justice. I like uh, crime stories. Uh, you know, um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of the dark, and I'm also afraid of crime shows. <laughs> I like them, but I watch them with Mandy around because I get scared. It's true, I know. Like, and she's like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to help you, but still. But they're interesting one of, one, of the, one of the interesting shows is Forensic Files because it talks about forensic evidence that they use to solve crimes. And there's some interesting stories. And this isn't one of them, but this is an interesting way uh, that they used uh, evidence to, like that to solve a crime. A long time ago, actually, in 1933, uh, you maybe have heard of Machine Gun Kelly. He was a famous criminal during Prohibition. Um, he was involved in a lot of bad things, kidnapping for one, and he once, he and somebody else kidnapped a wealthy old man named Charles Urschel. They, they kidnapped him, they took him somewhere, they, series of ransom notes, they demanded $200,000 ransom. And after some negotiation, finally the ransom was paid, Urschel was let loose, and at the time they didn't, you know, they didn't know who did it, they kept him blindfolded the whole time, but Urschel was smart. He paid attention to his surroundings. 
He, because even though he was blindfolded, he could tell when it was night and day. So he knew about what time of day it was. He, a storm came up one day and he knew about what time the storm was. So he remembered what time that storm took place approximately. He could hear um, things going on outside. He could hear the sound of, of airplanes flying above. And he knew about what time it was. And it happened every day. So he paid attention to that. And he could tell them later what, what, what time it was. He could hear animal sounds out in the distance. So he figured, he figured out, I'm on a farm. And so he used all of that. And he told afterwards, he told the FBI all this stuff. But he did something else that was just, I mean, they used all that to determine approximately where he was. They found a farmhouse that was actually owned by Machine Gun Kelly's father-in-law. So they, they, they thought they had their guy, but what, what clinched it was he, he had the awareness, the presence of mind while he was there to touch everything he could. And he put his fingerprints all over everything. So they dusted the farmhouse for fingerprints and they figured out that was where it was, that was who it was. And Machine Gun Kelly spent the rest of his life in prison. He was arrested. Use the evidence to solve the crime. But we've seen examples of the opposite of that too, right? People who have gotten off for a lack of evidence. Not making any political statements or anything like that. Not giving my opinion, but we know some famous people that have gotten off that there was a lot of evidence in their favor of being guilt, in the favor of their being guilty, but a lack of evidence. O.J. Simpson, right? If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Lack of evidence. Casey Anthony, Robert Blake, famous cases where they got off for lack of evidence. You form your opinion. Oscar Pistorius, the Blade Runner, he got off and it, it, he killed his girlfriend, but he got off for lack of evidence. Plenty of examples. So here's the question. You're on trial, and here's the purpose. The trial is to determine whether or not you're a Christian. Is there enough evidence to convict you? That's the question. If I'm on trial for my faith, is there enough evidence to convict me? You know how people will know? Is it evident in my life? Am I living out the Beatitudes? Am I living the characteristics that define a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I being salt and light in the world around me? Because if you are, there will be no mistake. There'll be plenty of evidence to convict you. Everyone will know. And they will know because they will see it in who you are, in the acts of kindness that you perform, in the things that you do, the lifestyle that you lead, and the fact that you are magnifying Jesus and pointing people to him. Be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's what Jesus calls us. And we don't have the power in and of ourselves to do it. If you don't know Christ, you can't be salt and light. If you don't submit to him daily, you're not going to be able to do it. It's him living through you. And so as we finish this series, those challenges, let me ask you first, are you committed to Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Because if you want to be salt and light, and you've got to know him. If you want to know what he wants from you, it's in the Beatitudes. And the first step is being poor in spirit, recognizing your spiritual poverty, accepting the salvation that only he can provide, allowing him to change you. And then it means submitting daily, living for him. I invite you to join me in prayer as we conclude this series. And whatever the Lord tells you, however you need to respond to this, I encourage you just to, to cry out to him from wherever you are. To ask him to come into your life if, he, if you don't know him. To ask him to take over if you do know him and you're struggling and you're, you know you're not living as you should. 
It's an issue of lordship. It's an issue of trust and submission. Let's just spend some time in prayer, and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Father, we come to you today and recognize that you have given us the blueprints. You've given us your instructions for how to live in your word. And, and in the Beatitudes, you've spelled out specifically the characteristics that should define our lives as your disciples. And Lord, I pray that, that they would be evident in our lives. That as we live each day, that we truly would be salt and light that we would point people to you, that we would magnify you, that we would glorify you. We would live for you and live like you. That we would be your representatives in our world. That our lives would be the banner that proclaims your name. And Lord, we know that begins and is only possible if we have a relationship with you. Jesus, you came to this earth, you lived a sinless life and died on the cross, taking on our sin, paying the price, the penalty for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. You were buried three days later, you were raised from the dead and if we put our faith and trust in you, we can be saved, we can be cleansed from sin. But we have to take that step of faith. We have to accept that gift of salvation before we can be your disciples. We receive eternal life and we get the privilege of living for you each day. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody out there either here in this room or watching from wherever they are, if they haven't received the gift of salvation, they would just cry out to you in this moment and ask you to come into their lives, to forgive them of their sin, and to take over. For those of us who know you, I pray that we would commit ourselves to being salt and light, to doing whatever you call us to do, whatever you ask us to do, to live in faith each day, to make an impact in our world for you, pointing people to you. If we do, there'll be no mistake. We are your followers. We won't get the credit, but but that's okay because you will get all of the glory. And if we are truly your followers, that will be our desire. That will be enough. Lord, we thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.